The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Tonight on a very special tribute edition of Monsterland, we say goodbye to a legend as we deep dive a demonologist. That sounds worse than it is. During which we get a call from a real-life Hollywood star with spooky tales from the set of Annabelle. And we hear from a former priest who knew Lorraine from the start, and he flat out scares the shit out of us. I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart! Let's go! Welcome to a wicked mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness, just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now, here are your hosts. Paranormal author, researcher, and speaker, Ronnie LeBlanc. And the host of The Curse of Oak Island drilling down on the History Channel, Maddie Blake. Greetings, Monster. Welcome to a tribute episode. Every once in a while we do this, we'll do a deep dive into one topic and not do our usual spanning the globe of paranormal. Tonight, of course, we pay tribute to Lorraine Warren. If you follow paranormal things at all, you know the name. If you don't and you listen to Monsterland because we're so witty and entertaining, we're going to tell you who she is (laughs) and how important she is. She is a huge figure in the world of paranormal. Hello, Ronnie LeBlanc. Hello, Maddie. How are you, buddy? Good, buddy. Um... Back from our week off with our children on vacation. Yes. How was your vacation? Look, uh, it was just... You uh, golf like crazy or what? Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> what I do. Kinda, a lot of time with Max. A lot of time with That's Mad great. Max. Which I value greatly. I'm going to do some golf with my dad this spring and summer and then Amy too, trying to get out there. Oh, the what? You bring the wife out? Yeah. You know what's so funny? There's a cliche that people always say who golf like, oh, don't get the wife. And It's just the opposite. If you want to golf, the best thing you can do is get your wife addicted to golf. Right. Because A, then she understands the addiction. She'll be like, "Uh, I get it. If she can fall in love with the game, yes, you'll have to play with her. But here's the thing. That's the other misnomer. The wife won't want to play with you. She'll get with her friends. She'll get a little group of gals, and they'll, and they'll enjoy their playing. play, and then you guys can meet after a drink. Get your wife involved. It's the biggest mistake guys make. They try to separate. Get your wife into golf. And, and she'll and get she, it. And she'll, she'll get it. And uh, you can play I all like the time. It. So, yeah, a lot of that. Um, as you know, Ronald, I'm going through a... Maddie, pardon me. Yeah, please, Producer Dave. If Hi, ta- buddy. If Tiger Woods had only taken your advice. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, then he would have... He had, he had to get, like, uh, Hooters waitresses into golf. <laughs> and so many. Oh, so, so many of so them. So maybe um, it was not feasible. Congratulations to Tiger, by the way. Yeah. The Masters. Wow. But, um, Ronnie, yeah, so I'm going through a very powerful, and this is the place to talk about it. This is the safe place to talk about it. We've mentioned on the podcast before about a previous run I had when I first got back into my faith life um, and some of the most, some of the incredible kind of paranormal experiences I had. Yeah. And I'm going through that now again. Um, what do you mean, like reflecting on those? No, kind of- no, no. Like literally going through uh, uh, since Another February. Series. Since February, 
I've really changed a lot about my life uh, spiritually. Mm -hmm. I've gone back into my faith in a big way. I've been... Well, you stopped drinking. Stopped drinking. I've cleared the mechanism, you know, cleared the body. I've Mm -hmm. cleared the mind. I'm on solid spiritual ground. That's awesome. Um, And so this week on vacation, I spent a lot of time in that effort. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you invite that type of stuff into your transom, as it's today in Spinal Tap... Uh, you, you, things happen and, and tonight a weird thing happens again, which we'll explain in a minute. Um, but yeah, so a lot of that and, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. The, 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 the experiences we've had together on this podcast, if you follow it, that have been strange or synchronistic. Well, you said it, uh, this past weekend when we're up in Maine, uh, supernatural life. I choose a supernatural right. life. And so now you're seeing That's the magic exactly right. of the universe. You're seeing things, how there's no coincidences, the synchronicities That's that are exactly constantly right. emerging. I said that, uh, David, to Ron. We were up at Parafest, New England Parafest, which, by the way, we had a great time. We spoke. Was there was the micro episode we did. Um, we met, uh, the, we met the, the Paranormal Boston Paranormal Society um, and that the guy who we had the connection with to the haunted ship that oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. And, yes. and he, one of his investigators came and said, so there's going to be Phil. The, yeah. We're going to have a lot more with them uh, coming up. That was another coincidence. The USS Salem. I, yep. I was telling Ronnie, um, I read somewhere this unbelievable quote. And now, if you are an atheist or you don't believe in you know God, quote unquote, mm-hmm. don't take this the wrong way. But because for you, it might not mean God as we've been taught traditionally. But the point being that there's something greater than yourself. Someone once said, there's only one question that matters in your life, really, truly. There's only one question, God or no God. Because if, and if, and if you answer no God, then you're in charge. And that means your faults are in charge and right. everything that comes with it. Right. So I said to Ronnie, I have, I have once again in my life, I answered that question, God, years ago. And then it, things happen. You know, when you start to, not that I became an atheist at all, but just the world, the material world gets in the way of yeah. that. It clouds it, that. It blocks your vision. It blocks your perception. It, it affects, you just start kind of uh, feeding into the lies that right. you're being told. Right. And you have to sweep that out. Yes. You know? and, and, and even like, I hate, I hate to keep bringing it up because it's not a plug of the show, but <clears> like the Oak Island experience has absolutely been powerful in that, in increasing my faith. The things that this team keeps finding, and I right. knew I always felt, always felt the Templar connection. Like as soon as right. I started, really, and then the, finding the cross and stuff has just been huge for me. Like I feel like, I honestly feel like um, there's a spiritual connection of why you're there. There's no doubt. There's no doubt, and, and I and it's like the way I tell the story for the fans. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm the guy to tell the story. What I what I am saying, the voice I constantly hear is, "You're the Christian on the team." Right. So you're the you're the Christian. I'm not on their team, but you know what I mean. Like, right, you're, you're the Christian in the group. Yes, <laughs> you're here yes. for a reason. Then, you know it, what I mean? Yeah, and I think that is a, a part of the answer to this whole thing, right? Like, it seems the, to be. Yeah, there's a lot of crosses on Oak Island. Mm-hmm. A lot of crosses. And I on think Oak that Island. this might be another reason why you're kind of getting back into this again. Too mm-hmm. is also every time you're going there, if this is a sacred place, yeah. if there's a lot of energy. Yep. You're kind of getting that that built up again. Yeah. So it's like. When you cross that causeway onto Oak Island, as I say, um, 
you either believe it or don't. You have faith or you don't. And, right. and that is a metaphor for my life. And I told Ronnie when I said, God or no God, once again in my life at this age, head, you know, in the prime middle age that I am, I choose a supernatural life. May I, I, may I add yeah. something, uh, yeah. Maddie? Because yeah. um, just maybe I'm stating the obvious, but it's really in keeping with the theme of this podcast because at one point you were playing around with uh, funny taglines, how you would close the show. Yes. <laughs> and at one point you said, we're not saying what it is. All we're saying is, what is it? Right. And that's, that's kind of, you were being clever, but it's kind of a nice encapsulation of this. It's like, it's, um, it's a mission statement, right? Yeah, we are. You're looking for answers, correct? And and if you're looking for answers, implicit uh, implicit in that is that there maybe are answers, or maybe there aren't, but it's worth looking for. And so, you know, I came in. First of all, I'm a I'm a bad Jew, and I'm half <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm half Irish, half Catholic, so totally confused and everything. <laughs> Love it. But I, I but I hope you guys know that I'm 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 really intrigued by everything you talk about because. Let's have an open mind about this stuff because there might be answers out there that just blow us away. There oh, might yeah. be, an, and if we, if we have a closed mind and we kind of say, "No, this is the, these are the rules. This is the way it goes," then you're not um, searching for something yeah. greater. And that's what yeah. I love about it, you guys. And so I hope that's consistent oh, with that's what awesome. you just Absolutely, said. Absolutely, yeah. brother. Yeah. And and there is an answer, and it's right here in this Scientology pamphlet that I want to give you guys. <laughs> <laughs> How do I get to the seventh level and and yeah. be beamed up? By but Ronnie, I've had shit healed. Like oh wow in in within the last like three weeks like really oh yeah it's like on it's like a full spiritual talk to me about that all right well <clears> like <throat> okay so years ago Max and I developed these right around the time of some of the bad stuff happening mm -hmm. spiritually the like the, the Emily Rose thing and all that stuff we're talking about some yeah, other yeah. things I haven't talked about yeah Max and I I felt like I was being fucked with. I felt like I was okay. being challenged. Like a negative entity. Yes, and there's okay. a lot of preachers who will say, if you invite Jesus in your life, they're going to show up, the bad oh, yeah, guy. The they're going to try and stop you. Light, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. They're going to get in the way. And there's like a, all this stuff becomes like a seed in you, and they want to not have that seed grow. Right. So weird stuff started to happen, and I got the, I have never had anything like this in my life growing up. Nothing, right around that time, I started getting these warts, these ugly warts on my hands. Hmm. And then my precious little cute son, who at the time was five or six, starts getting these ugly warts on his fingers. And I'm going, what the fuck? I was so mad that I, I, I could live with it fine. But the fact that this beautiful little boy has these gross little warts on his fingers, these cute little fat fingers, you know, I'm like, fuck no. Huh. So I, I didn't know what to do. We went and saw a doctor and we tried this and we tried that and this and nothing's working. And, I didn't want to put any of that shit on his hand that stings, so I couldn't do that. <clears throat> and trying home remedies and stuff. And this priest friend of mine said, try this. And he gave me like a, it's like a special prayer. Um, it wasn't a rosary, but it was a prayer to Mary. It was a, it was a, it was a systematic seven-day like novena to Mary. And it was to, to specifically ask for one thing, like a, a, a healing or something. Hmm. So I did it faithfully. Like it was, I was like, you know, I don't remember what it was, but like seven days, seven yeah. Hail Marys and seven, and it you know, multiplies by the end of it, you're doing 50 a day, whatever. Right. And I just said, fuck it, I did it. And there's some fasting involved. I fasted a little. I can't believe, as I'm telling a story, I'm about to take the Lord's name, but God damn it, our warts went away. Wow. Our warts fucking went away. So a couple things like that happened at that time. So fast forward to now, I've had these weird little things happen. And um, like I had this, horrible, horrible, like goutish shooting nerve pain in my foot. Which foot? Where, uh, my right big toe. Okay. I have this down. weird pain. 
No. Are you serious right now? Dude, I'm wearing a freaking brace. <laughs> Come on. I swear Come to God. On. Look at No. Look at Oh my God, he's running. Look at Hold on, I'm taking a picture. Hold I gotta on. take a picture. Look at Hold on. Jesus. <laughs> Hold on. I'm taking a picture of this. And my feet Hold up your foot. Stink, by the way. Yeah, they do. Hold up Woo. your foot just so everyone knows. It's a small studio. Oh, right. Hold on. I'm going to take a video of this so we know it's live time. So it's Ronnie's like. Ronnie's wearing a brace on his foot as yeah. I just said that. It's oh like, my God. It's like a thick ace bandage style, <laughs> but totally black, of they course. They call it an angel brace because. So I run a lot. Well, okay. I used to run like crazy, like, yes. you know, seven, eight miles a day yes. and stuff. And uh, lately, as I started trying to get back into running with the weather, I just had this pain in my foot, like, you know, constantly hurting. And it almost feels like a gout kind of thing. But I've also stopped, you know, drinking. You know, I've had a beer here and there. But aside from that. Yeah, not, you've cleaned no, it out too. We oh, both yeah, did. Yeah. Nowhere near what I was doing before. Right. And just focusing on, again, uh, like you're doing as well. Yeah. Reading, you know, positive stuff. Pray, yeah, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. So, but I feel like this is like there's like some kind of attack kind of happening okay, with dude, my foot. You want to hear how obvious this was? So I was spending time in the morning kneeling. I have a little like yoga mat. Yeah. And I'm right on the water in Rhode Island. Excuse me, I just chugged water. I'm right on the water in Rhode Island, and I have this beautiful little view. So, in as part of these last you know three four months, every morning I've been taking meditation prayer time. And I kneel um, on this mat overlooking the water. That's where I go every morning. And this pain started. Guess what? I couldn't kneel. Ah, so it's so like, get on your knees every you morning. From- get- I literally wasn't able to kneel. And I've got this shooting, burning pain. And I'm sitting there going like, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, the old uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire, the guy would whip himself on the yeah, back. You yeah. know, like I, I was like flagellating myself, like taking the pain and I couldn't last. So I'm like literally saying to God, like, I'm trying and I can't even kneel to you because it's fucking pain. So when I go running, my thing is I say my blessing, like I'm grateful for this, the book and blah, 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 the podcast, my family, you know, all that. And so it's my time to be spiritual with God. Right. And, and I haven't run. been able to, <laughs> you know, so, but now me and yep. Amy, we started doing our like walks and, and yep. starting to do that. Get, I did a little run today, just almost fighting it. Yeah. And she's like, go to the doctors. Go to the, I, I don't want to because right. I feel like this is something else tonight. I don't know. But it's crazy well, that it's the same friggin' foot. <laughs> guess what? I did it again. And literally, the other day, I'm on the couch. And I, I put my foot in that position where it just shoots up my leg. It's like yeah. a sharp electric pain. So I'm testing it. And I'm like, oh, wait. I'm not getting in the right position. It's not doing it. It's not doing it. And I'm going. And, I'm, and it's gone. It's fucking gone. Wow. Now, and did you do the prayer? Yes. Thing again, that's the seven what I'm saying. days. Well, I didn't do that, but I okay. did. I, I looked up another. I did. I basically just gave it over to God, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to see another specialist. I'm not going to. I'm turning it over to you. And I started like thanking, thanking God for healing it before it was healed, type of thing. Got it. That kind of faith leap. Yep. Gone. Just on the couch watching wow. freaking Game of Thrones. Over, I'm like, it's gone. Oh my God, it's gone. Oh my God, it's gone. And I got this warm, giddy feeling like, yeah, uh, just That's give me a little awesome. wink, give me a little healing there to keep your journey going. That's great. And, and then I had it with a check. I'm gonna come out. I I shouldn't. Sh- I don't know. I always do this, and then I go home, and go like, did I share too much to the public? But I think that's what makes this podcast great. I we're hope being so. honest and true, yeah. and this as stuff's happening. Okay, so, so you know, I, lo- I we lost the AF gig. Yeah. Uh, Nick and I, Maddie and Nick. Now I have Oak Island, and I have other things, and so I I'm fine financially, but when you 
when you take a daily job for two years, like a radio job, by necessity, I let a lot of other stuff go. So Oak Island now and a couple other little things are like a nice base for me, but I lost basically double, I was making double income, you know, right. and then you lose that in a day and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. And then, you know, the, uh, I left, for example, I left uh, my SAG after health insurance because I was with Entercom. So I went on their insurance. Now I got no insurance for a little while during this foot pain, by the way, you know, oh and this other gosh. thing. So it's just a little bit of a testing time. I'm okay, but it's a little bit of a testing time financially. Testing, yeah. And, yeah. and so, because it's just enough, like everything's just enough. And also all these during this time of trial and the pain and everything. 1100 for this. Mm. Our basement started flooding. Got to get a fucking $1,500 right. thing dug. Of shit. And it just kept coming. These $1,000 bills, like seven in a row. And I'm going, oh my goodness. all right, and there goes my cushion. There goes my safety cushion. And I'm stressed and I'm stressed. And I caught myself being stressed during one of these prayer times. I was actually a uh, Good Friday Mass with, with my son. And I, I just, I felt it, Ronnie. I felt it. Like I, 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 I turned it, it over. As I, I gave it to God. <clears throat> I handed it over. I felt the relief kind of go through my body and I was like, it's yours. It's yours. I trust. I trust. It's yours. If we sell the house, we sell the house. I don't give a shit. I'm, it's yours. Use me as you want me. Saturday morning, I open up my mailbox and there's a check that thick from something that is an old gig that I didn't expect to get paid for that was re-upped. Re oh my God. And it's just like, no, no, no problems for the foreseeable future. Type of thing. You know what I mean? It's just like. <sighs> That's awesome. For those that aren't in the entertainment yeah. industry, yeah. you mean yeah. something that is already recorded, aired, aired long ago. Correct. Correct. But is going Correct. to be aired. It's uh, they, probably they, a cousin of syndication or something. Yeah, they buy, they do a buy and they, they want to maybe run it again or something. So they what they do is they buy you out. It's a holding oh, deal, see. basically. Okay. So it's like. I can't do another, say, I won't say what it is, but like, um, a, I can't do another car commercial, let's say, in the next year because they might run this oh, whole okay. thing. So they're going to give me a chunk of change to not do another car ah. commercial, if you will. Uh, and a little little bit of oak stuff in there, too, that I wasn't expecting in the same Great. little bundle for another reason I won't talk about. But so my, my point is, soon as I let it go, yeah, <laughs> and this was all happening probably while I was praying for it. You know, they were probably yeah, sure. cutting the check in New York and then they put it popped in the mail. So it's just like, Man, oh, that's great. man, it's happening. That's Good great. and bad. Good and bad, but it's happening. Right. Like I'm. It's as you would say, I'm on fire now. You are on fire. That's great, and I love it. Well, speaking of someone that said yes to a spiritual life, let's get into um, the purpose of our tribute episode tonight. Lorraine Warren was a paranormal investigator and demonologist. The work she did with her husband, Ed Warren inspired film franchises like if you haven't heard of the Warrens you might have heard of The Conjuring and you've definitely heard of the Amityville Horror well they're the investigators that went and investigated hundreds and hundreds of these cases in their career and she just passed away at the age of 92 she was in Connecticut she had a home with her husband that has a museum in it and in the museum is basically all this paraphernalia that they took from years and years of these hauntings and dealing with demons and possessions and poltergeist. The satanic panic of the 70s. Exactly. <laughs> and they were very, very instrumental during that time in all these investigations. So they're huge pillars uh, in the paranormal world. Um, 
They founded something Ronnie called the New England Society for Psychic Research. They investigated a number of high-profile supernatural cases, including the Lindley Street Poltergeist, the Smurl Haunting, the West Point Ghost, the Pern Farmhouse Haunting, and of course the Amityville Horror, the Amityville Murders, the DeFeo Murders, the um, famous movie. By the way, we have some sound on. We're going to let her tell her story a little bit, Lorraine herself, and we've got two guests calling in tonight who have unique and insider perspectives into the whole Warren tale. Um, but Ronnie, before we get into kind of deep diving her, what did you know about her? And and just kind of talk about your general impressions as she passed here at 92. My, um, what I do know about uh, her and, and Ed was about Amityville. Yes. That was my main kind of connection, but I sure. knew the Conjuring piece as well. Sure. And... Um, I, I just their name has always been one of these, like you said, they're a pillar. They're legends yes. in this in this world, pioneers, trailblazers. Yes. Um, but I, I didn't know too much about them. I know uh, one of our friends I'll be calling in, Paul Eno, just had some amazing, uh, basically worked under them. Yes. And, and he'll talk about that. Absolutely. So. Um, she was born in 1927, Ronnie. She was half, as I mentioned, the wife, husband and wife team of Ed and Lorraine Warren. She described them as inseparable. Um, she claimed that she had contact from Ed um, after he died. He died in 2006. Ed was a self-taught demonologist, and she was a self-professed clairvoyant and spiritual medium. As I said, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. Um, here's the funny thing. Uh, there was a story saying she was going to be buried in a haunted graveyard. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, that's just possible. Let me, I got it right here, actually. Um, so she's Haunted gonna, Cemetery. Yeah, she's supposedly going to get buried in Stephanie Village Cemetery in Monroe, where Ed is buried. And um, I guess it has a reputation, um, which we should probably find out more about because it's right in Connecticut. And I'm sure some of our listeners... Uh, would know about it, but uh, how fitting if she was buried in, oh my gosh. <laughs> in a haunted cemetery, right? I guess all cemeteries by uh, definition are haunted. Although it's funny, she said she was in an interview and I was watching uh, interviews with her. She was saying like, everyone thinks, you know, mental institutions, hospitals, cemeteries. She's like, no, it's always where you, it, well, it's usually where life is taking place. Mm. You know, it's where life is happening. It's a house. It's a vibrant place. They don't right where there's to, energy, where yes, there's life. They can feed can, maybe off that's energy. That's what it is. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, she's she like I said, just a huge figure in the paranormal space. Let's um, let's let's walk down kind of her career a little bit. They th they did work before Amityville, but the Amityville horror is really what I think broke them, Ronnie. I mean, it was the it was the Biggest case. It was super famous, super famous movie, yeah, which I movie, quoted yeah. in the cold open. And here's um, Lorraine herself talking about her first investigation that the big one, Amityville Horror, it wasn't her first, but it was the first big one, I guess. Um, and kind of her thoughts on it. And I think this is kind of chilling what she says. One family were all murdered. Another family moved in and fled. So Channel 5 News said, you know, the viewers have a right to know what happened. That's why we went to the house. So what do you think really actually took place in the house? Do you have any opinion about what? Evil. Evil. It's the personification of evil. 
how evil can personify itself, how it can be attracted in certain situations. Now, what's amazing about that is with all the stuff they encountered, and they encountered exploding crucifixes and levitating. You, know, you can see this one house is a poltergeist uh, activity with things levitated, bottles levitated, bottles were unscrewed in front of them, floating in the air, crazy stuff, horrible possessions of. She was quoted as saying that Amityville was the one that stayed with her the most. Man. She said that chilled her and followed her. She said whatever that presence was followed her in her life, which is horrifying. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I'd like to go back and, and watch it again now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was like 81 or something. Uh, producer Dave could probably, he's good with the, with the flicks. Um, I, I would say, yeah, probably early 80s. It was Barbara Streisand's husband, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that definitely was a huge, and, you know, you've got, the, you've got a perfect storm there of, of a murder. Right. You know, this um, throw in some, some mental illness and unhappiness, and it's just a bad vibe. But I just found it really interesting because you got so many th- cases that they did and movie franchises based on these cases, but Amityville stayed with her the, the most. 1979, Matty. 79. Wow. You're right on, Ronnie. 80. Um, so book, that's... Book came out in 77. 77. Okay. Yeah. So the book... Yeah, right. The book. And by the way, there's a great book about Ed and Lorraine Warren called The Demonologist, another, another source we have here. And it really gets into how they did what they did. Um, and they really did... They kind of did like a, almost like an Alan Hynek did in UFOs and ufology. They did with demonology, or at least certainly Ed did. And he classified um, things based on all their experience. Like, for example, here's a quote from the book, The Demonologist. Uh, He said, there are three distinct stages to demonic activity, Ed said. Infestation, oppression, and then possession. In certain rare cases, death may occur at a fourth stage or sometimes with possession. If no one is called in to stop the spirit and the disturbance is allowed to run its course, then each stage can be anticipated to occur in that one, two, three order. So you can see they really like kind of broke it up um, in that way. So then they, then, then you have the case, uh, you know, cases like where they, where they went into these homes, there's a really nasty one in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They're from Connecticut. Um, So let's hear them actually doing their thing. This is, from a documentary, I think it was called World's Scariest Ghosts, featuring Ed and Lorraine Warren as, as that week's subject. Um, here they are doing their thing. And what you're going to hear is Ed actually calling out to the demon. Oh, my goodness. And you're going to hear it respond. And then you're going to hear he calls out to it again, challenges it. And you won't be able to see, but you can hear when he challenges it, the entire table and chair moves, moves across the room. And then the little girl sitting on... Well, all right, so just play this uh, part of it first. Here, here they are... Ed attempts to communicate with the troubled spirit. One knock for yes, two for no. Are you a man? Are you a boy? The mother leans against the kitchen table, her hands in full view as Ed continues asking questions. You want the people in this house to move? One knock for yes, two for no. Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> Who is it that you don't like the most here? Is it Is it Is it their father? Is it their mother? Oh my god. Ooh. Okay. I command you to reveal your identity. Next, Ed decides to confront the poltergeist alone. Give me some sign. Is that you moving something? Give me some So the whole the, the the table moves a little bit and the chair moves a little bit when he says that. But then in this next clip, he mentions a certain name. And when he mentions this certain name, the entire table violently moves towards him. The name of Jesus Christ. I command you to reveal your identity. Oh, <laughs> dude! Wow. As soon as he mentions that name, the table just wow. freaks out. So this is, you know, it's it's dangerous stuff they're doing. Right. You know. Yeah, you're messing with the uh, with evil. Um. And then it starts in on the little kid, unfortunately, this thing in this particular haunting. And this is like, you know, we always tell kids do their homework. Well, maybe they shouldn't because the little girl's trying to do her homework on this chair. And the video is stunning because you can see her feet are up on the chair. The mother's behind trying to hold it down. There ain't no strings. There ain't no one touching it. It's just videotape. It's clear as day. Hit it. On the following night, the family reports that the poltergeist seems to be more active than ever. Only now, its attention is focused on the family's 10-year-old daughter. The little girl is trying to do her homework, but you can see that the chair keeps sliding backwards. You're holding it down, aren't you? It's got that much strength to it. Now, if you watch, you can see the little girl's legs are up on the rungs of the chair. You can hear it. Hear the chair? She's not pushing herself up. That's from freaky. the floor, the mother is not tipping that chair backwards. No. Nobody is touching that table. The table moves of its own volition. So that's just like a taste of of some of the evidence that they had provided over the years. They had the, tons the, of it. The courage for them to do this oh, stuff, dude. right? Like the faith. I mean, you got to right. have a real mm. strong faith. Now, we can't tell her story without mentioning the fact, and we have a guest on the line who touches on this a little bit, there, there was some controversy with the Warrens. There's no doubt that their early work was widely validated and widely believed and widely compelling. But there was some stuff as the movie franchises came out that people debate that maybe they were doing things that weren't, you know, she just passed. So I don't want to cast aspersions. I'm just telling yeah. the story, the whole story. That there was some controversial things about them. Some well, she was a self-reported clairvoyant and medium, and mm -hmm. started getting into I think, seances and things of that. Yeah, nature, and, so. and and yeah, and the seance things, and there was some claims of um, that some of the stuff wasn't on the up and up, possibly. But I think the totality of what they did way vastly outweighs um, whatever oh, sure. might be. Maybe maybe they got involved with some things that weren't on the up and up. Maybe they didn't know that it wasn't, you know, um, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt possibly on that. But the, the well, also when you're that name and you're that kind of big in that world, people want to knock you down. Yes, absolutely. So. Well, well, so Paul Eno is a pioneer 
one of the first paranormal investigators of the early 1970s when he was studying to become a priest. And he was from, he was actually one of his uh, mentors was the guy, a, a priest who was the technical advisor for the film The Exorcist, which on set had a lot of weird stuff attached to right, it. Yeah. And <clears throat> Paul Eno um, was working with the Warrens early on in their career. So he had a ringside seat. When he was real young. Too. Real young. And they worked together. He was participating in exorcisms. And he's on the line now. And you're going to hear, because I'm going to talk to him about the coincidence that we just realized right before we right. went on oh, live yeah. with this. Another added to my list at the beginning Jeez. of the podcast. You're going to hear in a second, because I'm going to tell Paul the synchronicity that's happening with this interview. And he's going to tell also, I'm going to ask him to tell a story that he has during an exorcism that is absolutely chilling. And I, I, I mean that. It's really scary. If you're squeamish, again, I sometimes I do this because I mean it. If, if you are spiritually vulnerable and you, and you believe in this type of thing, um, he's going to talk about an experience he had during an exorcism that is disturbing. Uh, it, 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 this thing spoke to him and knew something about um, something in his life. And it's, it's, for me, it's hard to listen to. For him, it's hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. I heard him talk about it on another show. So just fair warning. Um, so let's get let's bring up Paul Eno um, because he has this connection with the late now Lorraine Warren. Well, Ronnie, joining us now to shed more light on the incredible life and career of Lorraine Warren is Paul Eno. Paul, welcome to Monsterland. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to be back in Monsterland. Yeah, yeah brother. Well, I'm freaking out right now because I was driving here tonight and. I just randomly, you know, have all these podcasts on my phone and I just hit whatever, you know, just basically shuffle, if you will. And an episode of the best of uh, Coast to Coast, it gives you like little 20 minute snippets. And your episode is what I listened to on the way here. <laughs> and, and I get in here and Ronnie goes, do you know Paulino? He's going to call in about Lorraine Warren. I'm like, I just listened to, listened to him for, for 20 minutes on the way here. So this is really weird. It is weird because I Thank thought of listening. Paul. I thought of Paul on the way up to the studio. While I was listening to him. Probably. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out and see if he, I know it's last minute, but he'll, he'll, he'll probably do it. So Paul, I got to have you tell this story um, or, you know, you can choose which story to tell it's up to you, but before we get into Lorraine specifically, could you talk about your experiences uh, in during exorcisms and maybe a story that really stands out for you that really affected you? Oh, geez, 25 words or less. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, when I first met the Warrens, I, I was in my embryonic stage uh, studying for the priesthood, and uh, the, the I had met them in 1972 through an article I'd written w with this, this idea of mine that ghosts, quote-unquote, earthbound spirits are actually souls in purgatory, you know, the good old mm -hmm. Catholic doctrine of, of purgatory, but not quite bad enough to go to heaven. I should say hell, but not quite good enough to go to, you know, heaven you go to purgatory. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lorraine thought that was absolutely brilliant. So that's how I met them. So uh, the experiences that taking place in 1973, the year after I, I met them, were uh, at the hands of a priest at my seminary, uh, who was not actually a teacher, he was the exorcist for the Diocese of Augensburg, New York, all very hush-hush, and uh, it was very unusual for a 20- or 21-year-old seminary student to be brought into that, because m most 
seminary students are not trained in this. He, however, knew that I was associated with the Warrens, and uh, he, you know, through a kind of did this mating dance, you know, for uh, weeks after I arrived there. And he said, you know, would you? He thought I would be a good one to assist at the, the local state hospital where he was the Catholic chaplain, mm. and actually, on, and the side was doing exorcisms when things would take place in the vicinity of a patient over which the patient had no control. For example, things flying off shelves. And, and all that business, uh, you know, things that, mm-hmm. uh, that their condition would not explain. Mm-hmm. So that's how that occurred. As a matter of fact, Ed and Lorraine came up to the seminary uh, later that year, and, and Ed was closeted with, with Father Lawrence for a long time, uh, and he said, he, I have him by my side anytime. Wow. So there was even a connection there. Uh, so, that, so the scariest thing that ever happened to me, uh, it's hard to say because there have been so many, um, the, the scariest thing sometimes, fellas, are, are not the actual phenomena. It, it's it's things that happen that shatter your belief system, because right. our belief systems really are all all we have. Right. You know, we have each other, and we have our belief systems. So uh, th- there was there was the incident in this, during a, the first exorcism I really assisted at, where this thing spoke to me in a language that turned out to be Malay. The doctor had to look it up. And they, they wouldn't tell me what it said until the end of the school year. And the, the, Father Lawrence said, I, just, I, I can't, I don't feel right in, in my heart not telling you what this thing said. And it was a reference to my father's suicide. Whoa, and had that thing spoken in English, absolutely, if it had it spoken in English, I would have lost it right then and there. So there was that. And then uh, with the Warrens in the 1974 Bridgeport poltergeist case in Connecticut, uh, there was, um, there were a lot uh, <laughs> Well, this, they weren't there. They, they had gone to be on, on some, do some interview, and I was in the house with the family on the second night of the case, and the family being a middle-aged couple and the little girl, Marcy, who was 10. She was adopted. Mm. Uh, there was a neighbor, and there was John Sopko from the Bridgeport Post, a reporter. Four things came down the hall, and it's funny. These are supposed to be demons, right? Yeah, they were, but I, I just thought that the whole, that whole idea was not good enough. I also felt that the year before in these exorcisms, these ideas aren't good enough. These, there's more to these things, mm. and there's more to what's happening. Um, you know, the, the demon was a label we put on it, you know, to make ourselves, in a way, feel better. But these things came down, and, and, and there was, I actually had a physical confrontation with one as it was trying to get to the little girl who was, who was behind me. And these are things that are supposed to be spirits. You know, the spirits, by, by definition, don't have bodies, you know, or right. bones. And I felt I had a physical uh, pushing match with this thing. And it, it, it totally shattered my belief system. It made me angry. Yeah. It made me everything I shouldn't have become because it, it, this parasitical entity, which I soon came to think of these things more as energy parasites than anything else, who come to eat and push our buttons, uh, was feeding, got stronger. I ended up having to pull the whole family out of the house, and I had to go next door. Uh, these are the days before cell phones, obviously. And I had to use the phone next door to call the warrants to ask them to come back into the city because I couldn't handle this. Oh, wow. And it took them an, took them an hour to get back into the city because of all the traffic. Because you know, the first thing Ed did half the time was call the press. Now it's ironic when they threw me out of the seminary for for researching the paranormal in 1977. I became a journalist, and and you know, I I think I've had a pretty good career at that. The mostly in Rhode Island and Eastern New England. But the point is that, that the last thing I would do would be to call in the press, ironically. And I've been a newspaper editor myself. So uh, anyway, but, but that's the first thing he did. And uh, so there were the crowds in the city of Bridgeport were just 
unbelievable. There were estimates of from two to 10,000 people outside this house at any one time. And when I pulled the family out of the house, fortunately, the police had uh, blocked off each end of the street so that we didn't walk out in the middle of a crowd. Okay, uh, so there was so th- there's a lot to that story. Um, I, th- I don't know if I've ever, ever talked about it on the show before, but uh, I've talked about it on Coast and, and this sort of thing. But that's yeah. uh, th- those are probably two two of the uh, the major incidents. Paul, I love that you call them parasites. You know, we call them demons or whatever. And right. you said something so chilling one time in an interview. Actually, it was the Coast to Coast I just listened to. Um, you said <laughs> you said I didn't feel like. The cliche, you know, fear, like demon thing. You said, I felt it was like clinical. It was almost like aloof. It's a parasite. It just feeds off. It's getting life energy off the actual exorcism process, which I thought was chilling and also made a lot of sense to me at the same time. Well, the best word I could think of in in the presence of these things, and I've been in the presence of these things on a number of occasions, is alien. Wow. Now, I've... Yeah. Now, I've done programs, and, and uh, I'll say, you know, alien versus demon, which is which. And people sit there, they, they figure the seminary background, they expect me to say that, that, that maybe, uh, you know, that, that the, the uh, aliens, you know, are, are actually demons. It's all actually demonic, like some Christian groups say. Well, I don't say that. It may be the opposite. You know, demons may actually be aliens. Hmm. In every sense of the word. I'm not, I'm not, the whole idea of other planets in terms of the, multiple worlds the theories of, that are going around in physics today, uh, the term of other planets may not even make any real sense. Right, dimensions. I mean, it, it goes way beyond that. So yeah. uh, way back in, in the 70s, that's what I was feeling. These things were alien, different, other, you know, and yet hungry and hostile. I, I think what makes your story so incredible, too, is, is and I've mentioned him on the show before, Ronnie, but I, I had occasion to to have a relationship a little bit, Paul, with Father Benedict Rochelle. I don't know if... Oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of him. I didn't know him. Yeah. He was a fascinating guy, and he was part of some of these uh, Vatican teams that would, uh, you know, go in and, and investigate claims of miracles and also claims of possessions. And he told me some stories that were just really actually, yes, scared the crap out of me, but also increased my faith because if it was just, to me, proof that there is a malevolent side. So if there's a malevolent side, there, there could be anything, including good side, if you follow. And, um, but what he said was, you know, look, um, think what you want about what an exorcism is. Um, if you're, you know, maybe an atheist, you don't believe in that type of thing. He said, but exorcisms are real. Like they go on, you know, well, they're I, real, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think people don't even understand that. Like a lot of people think it's just uh, hooey or it's an old time thing, but they're going on and you were part of them. And, and it's something that the church does. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot to it. I mean, you exhaust all, I think I said this on coast, you exhaust all possibilities before you can think of anything paranormal, you know, medical tests are done. It can take months, you know, and, uh, but father Lawrence was very quick with these things, which, which kind of, I really loved the man, a tremendous spiritual guy and everything else. And, and this, but I mean, it, it was just, it just seemed like we were feeding the problem rather than solving it. Wow. wow. You know, and, and that, so, but you, you can see why I got in trouble in the seminary. I mean, I questioned everything and I came yeah. up with goofy, goofy answers. Nobody else was taught with, with their, I don't know. No, I don't know. Just like uh, different things in theology and stuff. So, and but, but whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it, these are just the impressions I got, and I learned to my cost 
to pay attention to my gut. Right, your intuition. In these cases, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, well, go ahead, Paul, go. Well, no, no, I just, uh, I had two friends at the Vatican, one of whom actually worked in the secret archives. Believe it or not, there was such a thing in the library. And um, it limited access. But, you know, I mean, they knew about something, you know, like they're going to tell me, like they would probably write about it or put it on the air. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's, uh, there's a lot of, of stories going around. At the time, in 1973 and uh, into 74, uh, I said, you know, why don't, because the Exorcist came out in 1973, right. December of 73. And the, the priest who was the technical advisor was one of my mentors, Father John Nicola, he was a Jesuit. And he's sorry he ever did it. He said the stuff that happened on the set, you heard stories about that. He said that was largely true. Uh, you know, weird stuff happening on the set. And, uh, but he said he's, he's sorry he ever got involved with it. But um, wow. the thing I would say, and the church, they clammed up after that. And as, as I was finding out that, I, that their definition of this stuff was way too narrow, I was at the same time saying, why, why don't you just come out and say, this is what we believe, we, we, you know, we, we've got, we've got your back on this, you know, don't worry, but don't sleep well, but, uh, they didn't do that. And again, like they're going to listen to me, I'm 20, 21 years old. So they <laughs> clammed up and that just made everybody more curious. So maybe now finally, you know, 45 years later, they're, they're, they're maybe they're being a little, uh, but I, I, I approach the church like I approach the government. I mean, I, I take with a grain of salt, sometimes a pillar of salt, what they say. Mm. So yeah, but that, that's me. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they are trying to be more forthcoming. <laughs> well, Paul, we you know we got to have you on the show just as our full yes. guest and just do a whole episode with you and your experiences. Um, but I was just so fascinated; it was just too synchronistic that I was listening to you on the way here. That's a riot. I also live in Rhode Island, by the way, which is a whole other thing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. But uh, this was supposed one of us. To, yeah, that's exactly. Uh, this was supposed to be a deep dive into Lorraine uh, Warren. So let me just ask you. You knew her. You knew her from the early days. Um, just talk talk about her real quick as a, as a person and um, your thoughts on her as as she's passed. Well, she's controversial, and I, I must say that in 1978, my my uh, my parting from them was amicable but not good. Okay, I, mean, I, I started to question their methods and stuff, but th- this is a time to remember the good things. Okay, as, as we talk about her, I, I was very I was a lot closer to Lorraine than I was to Ed. Uh, she was, um, I thought a very sweet, sensitive person. I remember the first time we met, uh, I found out she was a tremendous cook. She had read this article on, on the purgatory thing and she thought it was great. And they invited me down and uh, that was 1972. And it was the first time I, I'd already started uh, some cases of my own. Uh, but they, um, I, I sort of picked up on the idea that they, they were doing, they were doing seances and all kinds of stuff that Catholics aren't supposed to do. Mm. And so I, I kind of gently talked to them, and I like to think, at least they told me they stopped doing seances at that point. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I, I, try, I really loved Lorraine a lot. Uh, she, I remember in the Bridgeport house in 1974, uh, sitting at the kitchen table on the first night, the Sunday night, the 24th of November, 74, and there was a police officer in there. Ed was doing an interview, of which Bill Hall has the tape of this whole thing. Um, he had to get the tape of the interview for his book, The World's Most Haunted House. And you can hear me in the background. Um, you can hear Lorraine go, ooh. And I watched as a second-degree burn blister appeared on her, her um, hand between her thumb and her forefinger uh, on her left hand. And uh, Ed started to freak. He said, you know, spontaneous combustion, a human combustion could take place in this house. I want you out of there. And she wouldn't leave. And, uh, but I mean, I was watching the whole time. There was no 
nobody was smoking. There was no heat source. And uh, that, that was, was pretty amazing. But her sensitivity, she was, a, she was a, as Ed would describe, a light trans medium. And uh, she would do that. So she was very sensitive to these stimuli. I remember at one point during that case, we went back to their house in Monroe, Connecticut, about 10 miles from the, the, the site. And um, at a lovely place, in the, kind of in the woods at the end of a cul-de-sac. And we went into uh, the kitchen, and uh, Lorraine made something for us, a little snack for us. And something arrived. And we, I don't know whether it's connected with the case or whatever. I still went behind the ears at this point. But we felt it, and we held hands, and we prayed. Wow. And, uh, I, and it dissipated. But um, I don't know. There are a lot, there's a lot of controversy about her, but I, my personal experience with Lorraine was just close, and it was like yeah, she was like a second mother in a way, you know? Oh. And Ed, because having lost my father at the age of seven, Ed kind of was... Uh, Kind of like a uh, surrogate father in a way too. So mm-hmm. I was. It was very sad when we, when we did. But you know, kind of things change. Uh, it was. There's an addendum to that in a way. Uh, in uh, in 2013, uh, my son Ben and I, who's my my partner in crime on the show and in, in, on cases, is um, we were uh, invited to be in the the feature a a featurette called The Devil's Hour that went with the release of The Conjuring, the first Conjuring film, which of course featured these, you know, dashing folks who <laughs> like Ed and Lorraine. <laughs> yeah. And um, there, here, here I am, and then all of a sudden there's, there's Lorraine. Now, we hadn't spoken since 1978, and, and I had people who went to lectures of them and mentioned that they knew me, and at one, point, one of them said Lorraine had started to get teary. Oh, and then, oh my gosh. Oh, that made me feel right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. so I, I wrote to her after Ed died and, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a letter and, you know, this, but I, you know, I never heard back. Cause she was, she was uh, quite elderly at that time. So she must've got thousands of, of, sure. of letters. So, um, anyway, but, um, so that's sort of a bittersweet story yeah. uh, as far as I'm concerned with them. And, uh, they, um, they assisted me a lot, a number of cases and there were other things that, and Ed would hand off cases he didn't have time for. Uh, some in those days as well. So he trusted me at least. And, uh, it was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, there were a lot of good aspects to it while it lasted. Paul, we can't thank you enough. I mean, we couldn't get a more inside source than you, uh, when talking about, uh, Lorraine and Ed. So we appreciate it. Oh, we I don't wanna, know about that. But... Well, we want to have you back on too, Absolutely. and just talk about your yeah. whole career and, 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 Oh, where can people hear you and uh, plug your show? Uh, sure. Well, it's, um, on noon to one on Sundays Eastern time on W O O N uh, is twelve forty a.m. ninety nine three FM, Boston Providence and uh, behind the paranormal dot com is the website. Uh, you can get the thing live on TuneIn dot com Paranormal Radio app uh, as well. And there there are over eight hundred hours of shows from the past eleven years, uh, including CBS Radio on that website. They're all free. Love it, Paul. Awesome. You know, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. It's a pleasure, fellas. Take care. Thanks, awesome. Paul. Unbelievable uh, tales from Paul. So Man. Paul's Paul's father uh, committed suicide, unfortunately, and so I don't know if it was very clear to you listening, but what happened in that story he told, which is really disturbing, is that whatever that was possessing that girl, um, during the exorcism process, Paul thought something in his head. And the second he thought it, kind of, kind of doubting what the demon was saying, and it, the girl looked right at him and said something to him in a foreign language. They didn't know what it said at the time. And later, his mentor, the priest, figured out what language it was in, had it translated. 
And what it said was something to the effect basically of, I was there when your father committed suicide. I told him to do it. Oh, my God. And Paul was just obviously devastated, probably angry, you know, all those nasty emotions mm. that you don't, that those things seem to toil in. Um, so really an incredible story. And how about just the fact that he was, that these things, as I said during the interview, Ronnie, that these things are real, like exorcisms are going on. I think a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, and it's, uh, well, even Paul talks about this creature, this being being real, very real, mm -hmm. not an ethereal, you know, yeah, spirit. So, yeah, right. This is something that's physical, that materializes. And he and he described it as like almost clinical and, and, and parasitic. Parasitic and almost aloof. It's gross. It's it's terrifying. And by the way, don't make the mistake going like, oh, those crazy Catholics or those crazy Christians or those crazy whatever, they're, you know, they're medieval, um, ancient, druid ways of doing exorcisms. Guess what? On these teams, when this happens, it's a last resort. And there are doctors involved. There are psychologists involved. There are psychiatrists involved. You know, medical doctors who, who say, we can't, we don't know what this is. There's no physical connection. There's no mental connection that we can explain medically to explain the phenomenon that's going on with this person right now. Right. Including things flying at us through the room. You know what I mean? I mean, that's going to be nuts. When stuff, right? objects are flying mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. and terrorizing, mm -hmm. you know. Man. So it's, it's terrifying. Um, so, yeah, so the Warren's career spawned, as we said, movie franchises like The Conjuring and... The Conjuring 2 and The Conjuring 3 Electric Boogaloo <laughs> and The Conjuring 6 and also a prequel film called Annabelle. Now, Annabelle's the doll in real life. It was a real doll that they believed, this family and the Warrens believed, was evil and uh, possessed and a host for one of these mm. demonic entities. So they made a prequel movie called Annabelle, prequel to the, to the Conjuring, that tells the story of this evil doll, which, by the way, the real doll Annabelle is on display in the Warrens Museum in their home, which is going to be interesting to see what happens to that museum, because yeah. that museum is filled with all kinds of haunted, possessed shit. Right. And it, it's actually really disturbing, again, to see video of Lorraine in the last few years giving... She did a few media interviews. Mm -hmm. She was even on the show Paranormal State Oh yeah, pretty recently. Yeah. Um, here she is actually giving a tour of her haunted museum and you're going to hear in her, they, they look at the camera points to the doll and you can see the doll, the actual Annabelle as fictionalized in the movie, but this is the real doll. And it's like a, it's like a creepy raggedy, raggedy Ann yeah. doll. And you can see in the video all these years later, Lorraine won't even really look at it. It's really powerful. To me, it's the most powerful evidence in a way of just, she's not an actress. Rain Warren wasn't an actress. She caught, you know, she's like, oh, sweetheart. She was like, it's just a regular woman. She was awesome as a person, um, but not an actress, not putting mm. on a performance. And you can see her almost getting emotional, almost kind of like tearing up and, and just going, oh, I, I don't even want to look at it. I won't even look at the doll. Um, so check this out. Okay, so let's go in. I'll show you the house. There's a lot of pictures of us in, in the house. Here's, here's one of the pictures of Ed and I. You guys were inseparable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were. We didn't do anything without one another. Here, um, 
in probably one of the most haunted places in the world because of the things that are in here. Everything in here has been taken from some place where people were either killed or maimed or so, so many ways. So it's, it's tragic for me, you know, to even go in. People are very, very interested in the museum. And there's some people that are afraid to even go in. Right here is a conjuring mirror. Everything and anything in here we have investigated. Don't ever touch anything. And if you do, let me know. Here again, this emotional? This is the worst thing in here. It's that doll. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stare at it though. So mm. you, you can take the picture, but I'm not She's gonna crying. stare at it. This energy coming up. Yep. You can hear her gaze too. Badly, bad harm on a lot of people. She can't even look at the doll. You have to conjure the spirits in order to get it. You know, you're not going to get it by just walking around here. And that's the one that's sort of depicted a little bit in this movie, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. That, that's the Annabelle doll. Yes. There's a priest coming in now blessing what the room. What has been done is circular embolism, which is prayers, are said all the time. You know, to pray. You're a priest to bless. Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. Yes, oh my God, yes. I can't do that. It's November 1st, 1971. I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perry. So then that's the movie that has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. The children were badly affected, really badly affected. That was a typical place, honey. That was a very, very, very bad place. It's not easy. It's not easy, you know. You, you know, you see things and experience things. It's more comfortable now. It's a lot more comfortable for me. So at the end of her life, obviously, she was more at peace because she wasn't actively you know, going into why these horrible you, situations. Why would you, you know, keep these, like, objects, right? Because they contain this energy. They contain these... They can attach themselves to objects. Why would you keep them all in this? You know what I mean? Like I would see more of like if you want to get rid of it, burn them all, destroy it, yeah. let that just kind of move on instead well, of housing it in some kind of dark shrine. I don't want to speak for the deceased Warrens, but uh, from the, reading this book right here, the demonologists and all these clips and everything, I, I, the the you know good good. I mean, I did a solid eleven minutes of research for the show. Wow, that's yeah, usually no, double yeah, yeah. what you no, normally I, all right, do. I, even like maybe like thirteen. <laughs> Um, no, but in the research I did today, uh, I would say that they honestly felt, a, a, especially, you know, they, they were Christians. And right. she mentioned openly, and even like movie junket interviews for The Conjuring, she was explicitly mentioning the name of Jesus, and you've got to call it Jesus. I believe that they felt it was like a Christian mission yeah, a calling to help to these people. And sure. I think that they wanted to, like you would with nuclear waste. <laughs> Keep it in a place that is just uh, in one place, mm. you know, and, and they had the priest come in and bless it all the time. Bless that room. And, and just, did you hear what she said though, too, is don't touch anything. And if you do, do let me know, let me know, because Holy there is shit. some that transfer. Yes. And she wanted yes. to, you know, her gaze, there's yes. something about the eyes or and windows. You hear her soul. whole voice changes. She oh, gets yeah. emotional and she just gets 
scared. And so whether you believe it or not, they certainly did. Oh, yeah. And so um, that's a great question, Ronnie. I think that would be the answer. I think they wanted to keep it in one place contained where they controlled it mm. and they felt like it was not out there in the world. It's like a gun exchange program. Sure. Get all the guns in the police department where they can be well, destroyed the, or put well, away. There you go. Right? That's the last point. They destroy them. Right. And it's, she's still kind of, I don't know. But can you destroy it? You know, that's the thing. Yeah. If you destroy a doll like that, what happens then? Does it just go into a, per does it float out? Right. Uh, Maybe so there's you just, reasoning behind that. So you, you just know? case it and you bless right. it all the time. You just leave it locked away where no one can touch it. Well, let's hope that uh, if this, you know, with her passing, that mm -hmm. whatever happens with the museum, that these artifacts, these elements, these pieces don't go out to other people. Mm -hmm. they're, they're auctioning, going to these houses, and then it starts all over yeah. again. Yeah. Well, um, in this This Is Your Life <laughs> edition of Lorraine Warren, um, <laughs> these people that she affected and that were affected by her, for example, the actress who played her, how do you say her name? Uh, Vera Farmiga? Is that how you say it? Vera Farmiga? Uh, the actress who played Lorraine Warren in the Conjuring film. She's very lovely. Uh, call her up, Dave. I think it's Vera Farmiga, but I don't know if that's how she pronounces it. Right. It's definitely Vera Farmiga, F-A-R-M-I-G-A. Oh, okay. So I was right. All right. Yep. Farmiga, probably. But she plays her in the Conjuring films. She just tweeted, uh, from my deep feeling of sorrow, a deep feeling of gratitude emerges. I was so blessed to have known her and am honored to portray her. She lived her life in grace and cheerfulness. She wore a helmet of salvation. She donned her sword of compassion and took a shield of faith. Righteousness was her breastplate. Wow. And she was, and she has touched my life so. Love you, Lorraine. You're waltzing with Ed now. What an incredible tweet. Yeah. Uh, sorry to uh, no, please. Uh, detour you here, Maddie. No. We, thanks to the magic of the internet, we have the pronunciation of Vera Farmiga. Thank here you. Hold on. Here it comes. Uh -huh. Vera Farmiga. Farmiga. <laughs> Farmiga. No, 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 right. no, I thought it was Farmiga. She kind of said like Farmiga. What? Sounds like Vera an anti-depression. Oh, you're Hold right. On. You're right. I have Vera another Farmer. pronunciation. Let me see what this one says. <laughs> I am going to delete all your files on the Red Warren. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Didn't see that coming at all. Not what I was expecting. Well, speaking of actors who are related to this whole thing, Ronnie, I haven't even told you this. What? I happen to know from my old acting days. <laughs> well, I knew you were going to bring up something. In the original film, Annabelle. The lead character, John Form, the husband, the father, the leading man of that film is an actor named Ward Horton, and we're old buddies. No way. And he is on the Monster Line hotline now yes. with a little insider information Ooh, cool. about working on the film Annabelle and some creepy things that happened on the set and what he knew about Lorraine Warren. So let's go to him now. Ward Horton, welcome to Monsterland, buddy. Thank you for having me. We're psyched to have you. This is so surreal uh, because you and I knew each other uh, years ago, and we haven't talked in a long time. But in prepping for this episode, I thought, "Oh my God, I I'm looking. I'm literally like researching her, right?" And one of the first things that comes up, of course, are, are all these clips of Annabelle. 
And uh-huh. so I'm staring at your face. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> hey, wait a second. I know that guy. I can have him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I get him on the phone. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk about what you know about Lorraine. I don't know if you met her when you were prepping to play that role or, or, or what. No, no, I didn't. No, my, my research was done after I got cast in the role pretty much. Um, obviously watching The Conjuring, but, uh, you know, I, I live up in Connecticut and Monroe, Connecticut's not too far from, from me actually. And, uh, um, I knew I got to learn a lot about Ed and Lorraine's work and, um, you know, I knew that doll was not too far away. Definitely wasn't planning on going to visit it, <laughs> um, based, based on the stories that I heard. But, um, uh, yeah, she, um, they, they, they were, they were pretty huge in the whole paranormal world. And, um, and I was sad to hear that she passed away. Yeah. Did you know now, are you, uh, are you a believer in the paranormal or were you before that? Yeah, no. Well, so I, I, I can't say that I really was, um, but in doing the research for this film, I started to look into it a little bit more. And there's, you know, there's, you hear these stories about things, but then a few things happened on set that uh, oh, while wow. we were shooting that were, that were a little strange, that would definitely make you uh, uh, think twice about uh, being a non-believer. Um, uh, if only, uh, if only well, we had a podcast where you could tell a couple of those stories. Yeah, <laughs> how, how about, oh my gosh, imagine that. Um, I... Uh, I, uh, yeah, well, so I remember when I first got to LA, um, uh, I was, I, I was staying in this, this apartment that they got for me. And I, I literally had moved in that day and I, it's about 1030 at night. We're about to start shooting the next day. And I, op- I sat down and I opened up the script for the first time. Oh, I mean, sorry, it's the first time in L.A. Obviously, I had opened the script beforehand. But op- opened up the script in the apartment. And immediately opening it up, the medicine cabinet in my bathroom fell. No. Like, it fell off the wall. No. And, and, and it just crashed against the back of the toilet, shattered the, the top of the, the, the toilet. You know, like mm. the... The, the cylinder, um, what do you call that? Uh, porcelain yeah, yeah. Uh, top shattered that. And, 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 you know, at the time I didn't think a ton about it. I mean, I thought that was pretty crazy that it happened, but when I kind of put it all together, I'm like, that's some pretty strange shit. Yeah. And then, and then I called the guy that, um, uh, that had kind of set up the apartment and he's like, I, I don't know how that fell off the wall. There's like no <laughs> wow. way that could have fallen off the wall. Um, so that was pretty, that was pretty crazy. Uh, and then, um, one other thing that happened, uh, you know, in, in the, the film Annabelle, the guy that, that plays the demon, his name's Joseph Bashara. Um, he's actually the sound mixer, I think on the film as well, cool. but he, in, in a bunch of these conjuring universe type films, he's played this demon and, um, he, the day he came, he had finally gotten his, the demon costume on was the first day he was going to be, you know, it's only in the movie a couple times, right. but he gets, uh, we're in this uh, apartment building in LA. He gets off at the 10th floor. He walks off the elevator. Everybody sees him for the first time. The light fixture <gasps> over his head. No. Dropped <laughs> and no. landed on his head. <gasps> yeah. Come on. What? No. Yeah. So, so yeah, you asked me if I'm a believer. Maybe beforehand, not Holy so much. Shit. Now, starting to think there's definitely something more going on than maybe I give it credit for. Yeah, and that's exactly the type of like 
hijinks that like that Annabelle ha- was, yeah, known for, and it you know right. messing with people and wow. yeah. The, the doll, yeah. it's funny, I, I remember, I, I'm going to find a picture we have, Ward, together. When you came on, you you visited a show I had, a, a TV show on DirecTV, um, and it was around Halloween time, I think we had you on, it was, it, although it was a golf show, um, yeah. but we, you know, it was right when Annabelle was coming out, uh-huh. and we had like a doll, right? And it was like a right. scary fake replica of the Annabelle doll in the film, and right. it's so funny, I look at pictures and, and it was definitely creepy and scary it was a creepy looking doll but when you see mm-hmm. the real annabelle that ed and lorraine had in their museum it's like a more mm-hmm. of a raggedy Ann doll oh and yeah in yeah. a way it's like more frightening you know what i mean oh, because sure. it's so innocent looking it's, so, it's right. so like um i'm wondering was there any weirdness around the doll on set or anything like that where people creeped out by it or, or didn't even want to look at it? Because if you look at videos of Lorraine, by the way, giving tours, mm-hmm. she won't even look at mm-hmm. the doll. She won't Yeah. She won't look at the real doll. It's really amazing. Yeah, I can't, I can't say that there was... Um, I mean, she definitely... She, she garnered a lot of respect. Um, people didn't, you know... And we always, we always laughed that she was... The, she was the diva in, in in the film. She was the one you had to wait for because you know she changes throughout. They they have her change throughout the film. When she's she's obviously a creepy looking doll when they take her out of the box. Yeah. But as as kind of things go down, she gets progressively creepier looking. Yes. You know, with uh with a, a little bit of blood and the, yes. the the discoloration of the face, and so as so there was she would sometimes come on set. And our directors would, or, you know, other creatives would be like, you know what? We think she needs to be a little bit creepier here. Or this, <laughs> actually, she, we went a little too creepy, so we need to bring it back. So sometimes you'd be on set, and you'd have to wait for her for an hour or two. So, Annabelle! You know, when, when, <laughs> yeah, when it, comes to, when it comes to divas, she was right there. Uh, and then but, you- uh, but, yeah, she did. I mean, she definitely, you know, it, it was... You know, you look at the you look at the doll in Ed and Lorraine behind the glass in Ed and Lorraine's house, and it doesn't look that scary. But when you think of the destruction and the chaos that she caused, it does. You're right, make it almost a little scary that something that innocent looking could yeah. be that terrifying. Yeah, it, it it the whole thing is frightening. And then you guys did correct me if I'm wrong. I remember watching what was it Annabelle Creation or something. There was a there was a follow up, right? Yeah, but I was not a part of that. Oh, you so, weren't? Okay. No, it's a, they're, they're basically... Our, our Fuck story that movie. Was a, <laughs> you know, yeah, they're all standalone films, so every cast is completely different. And Got they it. just announced they're actually doing another Annabelle. Uh, Gary Dauberman is kind of the only consistent one on, on those, and, and James Wan are right. kind of the only consistent people on it. They've had different directors um, in different casts. But, right. uh, um, uh, but yeah, our story kind of took place uh, um, before the, I think the, is there another Annabelle that's coming? I think the next Annabelle that's coming up is how at the end of our film the doll ends up at a store where the nurse uh, from the Conjuring buys the, or the mother buys the doll for the nurse. I, it's, it's all kind of. <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, I, I think it's called confusing. Annabelle Takes Manhattan. I think I did. A, no. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll, the curse. have to get cast in that one. <laughs> yeah. The uh, whatever the curse is hasn't followed you because you're doing awesome, man. I, I've been following you. Your career's just doing awesome. What do you, What do you got coming up, acting wise? Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Um, 
So I just finished a Broadway run. I was doing a, a play in New York called Torch Song, which was a revival of Harvey Firestein's play from the 80s that uh, won a Tony back in the 80s since the first revival of it. So we just finished doing that, had a great experience uh, working on that project and, uh, you know, doing a little bit of guest television work here and trying to figure out figure out what's next, you know? Love it. It's that... that uh, the old adage of the of the worker always try the actor always trying to find work. What's the next gig? Next. Amen. Amen. Oh God, do I feel yeah. your pain, Ward? <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> well, it's a sweet pain. You're awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, checking in with us on on uh, yeah. something that you got a unique perspective on. Yeah, no problem, guys. That was really fun. Thanks a lot. All right, Ward. We'll Thanks, stay in Ward. touch, brother. Thank you, man. That was so fun. Right. So there you go, Ronnie. A little uh, inside the actor studio, paranormal edition. I love it. Isn't that cool? So what a show. Thank you to our special guests and the special tribute to Lorraine Warren. You know, when someone passes like this, who is such a central figure in this world of whatever it is we talk about, (laughs) I think we have to just do a deep dive into their career a little, you know. I mean, she's influenced so many different researchers and investigators like Paulino and others. So I think it's important for us to kind of recognize her and her husband's work. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with a more traditional Monsterland episode with a guest. Yes, Hugh Newman, who's a regular on Ancient Aliens and the new show In Search of Monsters on Travel Channel. He does a lot of work with megaliths, uh, giants, and he's come to the conclusion, uh, like we all have, I think, that there's something to all of this and the energy that's created through these megaliths and these different stone sites. Yeah, if you think giants are just a myth, think again, and he'll get into that. Uh, Thanks to our guests, Paul Eno, Ward Horton. We'll be back next week with a traditional episode, your Monster Mail. We'll do a little Monster Media uh, for Ronnie LeBlanc. For producer Dave, producer Carrie, thank you all, monsters. You know where to find us on the socials. Monsterland Pod, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And thank you, Ed and Lorraine Warren, for all your work, all the help you gave people who are suffering from these horrible afflictions, whatever they may be, whatever you believe, the people going through them believed them, and you helped a lot of people. And wherever you are, you know all the answers now. Night, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Monsterland Podcast. If you or someone you know has an experience to share, or if you have questions, you can reach us at monsterlandreport at gmail.com. Find us on social media at Monsterland Pod. Until we meet again in Monsterland. Monsterland.